How you guys doing? Good. I'm Pastor Mike. If you guys don't know me, I'm the youth pastor here, uh, associate pastor, whatever they tell me to do, pastor. So um, I'm going to be helping lead this morning. And uh, Pastor Kerry and 12, is it 12? Anybody know? The number was 12. 12 people from our church are on their way to Turkey. I told them it was a little too early for Thanksgiving. I don't understand what they're doing, but whatever. Um, So, yeah, pray for them. They left at like 4 this morning from the church parking lot. And they're probably sitting in Seattle right now for five hours waiting for the rest of the world to catch up to what they're trying to do. So, um, pray for them. Pray for the flight there and back and all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm excited for them. I can tell you that if you've ever traveled across the world, um, it's a daunting task. And uh, But when you get to where you're going, it uh, it doesn't necessarily feel like home, but you're excited because when, uh, especially on a trip like that, the Bible starts to come alive um, when you start to see places that that are in scriptures. And one of the blessings and benefits of, uh, of, for me, of being a part of this church was back in 2018, I was able to go with the, the church to Israel. And I just, I still, to this day, I'm just super grateful and thankful for that trip because it just made the Bible come alive. Um, a lot of times, like, we see or we read things and, like, we kind of go, yeah, well, you know, that's a, that's a weird name in the Bible. That's a weird place in the Bible. We don't recognize there's huge historical significance, there's huge historical ramifications just with what's written down. And so it just kind of helps it make, come alive. So pray for that whole group that they would uh, have a great experience, be safe while they're over there, and that God would bring them back safe uh, in a couple of weeks. So. Well, let me add my good morning. To what Pastor Mike said. We're so glad that each one of you are here. You know, as we go through our week, sometimes we have great weeks. Sometimes there's some bumps in the road. Sometimes even there's some real bad news. But the great thing is that when we worship our God, He inhabits our praises. And we can come to Him and worship Him in spite of what's going on and know that by faith that He's got it for us and that He will move on our behalf. So this morning, Let's worship God this morning. Let praise be a weapon that silences the enemy. Let praise be a weapon that silences the enemy. Let praise be a weapon that conquers all anxiety.
Thank you. 
through song. We're also going to continue to worship as we give our tithes and our offerings this morning. So ushers, if you would come to receive the morning offering. And as they do, I just want to remind you that it's because of Jesus that we can even be here this morning. It's because of Jesus that we have the resources that we have. And so we give them back to him as an act of obedience, as an act of worship, as we're leaning on his everlasting arms each and every moment. Father God, we thank you for what you do for us each and every day. We thank you for how you sustain us, how you carry us, how you provide for us. You are such a good God, and we worship you this morning. We give these offerings to you as an act of faith, obedience, and worship this morning. Use them to further your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.
God, each one of us are here this morning, standing, sitting in your presence because of that last line. That we know without leaning on you, without running to you, and putting our faith and our trust in you each day, oh, how each one of us would be lost. But we lean on you, trusting you, knowing that you are our God. And you take care of us. You love us deeply. We are your dear children. You are our Father. You are our Savior. You are our Lord. And you are our King today. And you are also our soon returning King. We love you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. I have to get used to this thing on my ear. So we're in the book of Acts, as most of you guys know. Um, this morning I've been tasked with us going through Acts 15, 1 through 35. It's 35 verses. So basically I have 39 minutes and 30 seconds to get through 35 verses. You guys ready? I mean, at least I'm not teaching in youth where I'd only have 20 minutes, so you know. We're good. No, I'm just kidding. Um, let's go ahead and read through the passage, and then we're going to go through this. I'm entitling this message, Salvation, No Additives, Plenty of Preservatives, Defending and Securing the Doctrine of Salvation. I think you'll know why. Some of you guys are familiar with this passage, but some of you, maybe this is your first time really going through this passage. So let's do this. Let's read it. If you guys could, I know you just sat down, but if you could stand, if you can stand for the reading of God's Word, please do. We're going to read these 35 verses, so follow along with me. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. When Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some of them should go up to Jerusalem and to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of Pharisees who had believed stood up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. The apostles and elders came together to look into this matter. And there, after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon their neck, placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they also are also. Amen to that. Sorry, I added that. All the people kept silent, and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they had stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brethren, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. 
With this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After these things I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from long ago. Therefore it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write for them to abstain from things contaminated by idols, from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood. For Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him, since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. For then it seemed, then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders and the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabas and Silas, leading men among the brethren. And they sent this letter by them, the apostles and the brethren, who are elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria, and Sisala, who are from the Gentiles' greetings. Since we have heard that some of our number, to whom we have gave no instruction, have disturbed you with their words, unsettling your souls, it seemed good to us, having become of one mind, to select men to send to you, to send with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore we have sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit to send us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from sacred things sacrificed to idols, from blood and from strangled things strangled, and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. And after they had spent time here, they were sent away from the brethren in peace to those who had sent them out. But it seemed good to Silas to remain there. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others, also the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we just pray this morning that you would uh, illuminate this passage to our lives. Holy Spirit, that you would just um, help us to see what you have for us in this passage. But the eternal truth, God, that we can take away, that we can be encouraged ourselves, that we can be challenged and transformed by your word, Lord. We just praise you. Thank you give it to you this morning in Jesus name. Amen. 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 Praise Jesus. <clears throat> St. Augustine is attributed as saying this. I'm not quite sure that he's the one who penned it, but it's been around for a long time. It says in essentials unity and non-essentials liberty and all things charity. So if you guys remember uh, last week, Paul had been stoned and it's not the kind of stone that we, that we know about here today, right? It's actually like people picked up rocks and they threw them at his head. Um, they put them in a pit. They threw them at, at his head to like basically kill him. And somehow miraculously he got up. That's what we were talking about last week at the end, right? He got up and then they went down to this area where they're in. And uh, that's kind of where we leave Paul off. Well, interestingly enough, this whole chapter is really about one thing, and that's the doctrine of salvation. And the reason why... I give you this phrase is because I want to just encourage you to think about this phrase in relationship to the Christian church today and in relationship to how, uh, how you're interacting with the church. Because 
the crazy part about all of this is that whether you know it or not, some of you could end up being the some men that are in this passage. I've been that at times. And I would encourage you to not be. And I would also encourage you to, for us to, to kind of take a look at the roots of, of what God delivered to us as what is essential for salvation. What's essential and what really matters with relationship to the doctrine of salvation. So let me just, uh, just give it to you right here. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen? Amen? Let me say that again. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen? Amen? Okay, think about that. Put that in your brain. Don't ever let it go away. Boom, you're done. Let's go pray and we'll get out of here. I'm just kidding. Uh, this passage is about basically how the church established the first doctrine. Now, first of all, the church didn't establish this. God established this, right? This is God's deal. Salvation is God's deal. It always has been and always will be. You can't tell God who's saved, who's not saved. It's His deal. If He's saving people, it's Him. Anytime man gets involved in the process, guess what happens? It's idolatry. Or it's basically us saving ourselves or thinking we save ourselves, which is not good. Right? But I keep using this word, the doctrine of salvation. And let me tell you, I have a little history with this word, doctrine. How many of you guys hear the word doctrine and it kind of sounds like a bad word to you? Just be honest, come on. Yeah, I'm one of those, right? I, uh, relatively uneducated in terms of you know church things for a, long, a lot of years of my life. I read the Bible a lot of years of my life. But every time I heard this word doctrine, it was always coming from behind either a pulpit or behind uh, a religious arrogance that drove me crazy. And so for the longest time, this word doctrine was a bad word to me. Because I always looked at doctrine as equal to division. That's what I did. And I'm just sharing this personally from my own testimony, if you will, of the way God has transformed my life. Because I really believe that some of you guys in here need to hear that part of it too. For some of you, doctrine is not a big deal because you understand what it is. And it's not that big of a deal. But for others of you, maybe you have the same bent towards me. But really, in reality, doctrine is Christian truth and teaching passed from generation to generation. We don't have a church that continues on without doctrine. Amen? Without true, right doctrine, we don't have a church that continues on. In fact, one of the problems of the modern day church today, and I'm just going to say it this way, we suck at doctrine. We do. We don't like focus on the real truth. We focus on all these other things and try to fit our doctrine to make it culturally applicable, when the doctrine of the church, the doctrine really of Scripture, is supposed to be transforming the world around us. Amen? So when we start trying to force doctrine that doesn't make any sense to kind of fit the world, it's never going to work. It never will, and it's not supposed to. Doctrine is Christian truth and teaching passed from generation to generation, and its purpose is to keep us grounded in the truth of God's Word from generation to generation. This took me a lot of years to recognize, and now I'm starting to see it because I'm starting to see a lot of... I'm not going to name churches this morning, don't get me wrong. I could get in big trouble for that. But I'm starting to see a lot of different things where I just go, man, you know, like, eh, eh, please don't. You know, like, back to God's Word, back to the truth of the Gospel. Let the Gospel do the work in society to transform lives. Amen? That's how it's supposed to work. That's how the church is supposed to work. But unfortunately, we have this ideal of somehow that we want 
the newest things in society, and we, we try to fit the gospel into this relevant thing to society, which the gospel is incredibly relevant. How much more relevant can the gospel be when it basically takes a dead person and makes them alive? I don't know how much more relevant that could be. It has nothing to do with the clothes they wear, the, the style of music they play, the this or the that. It takes dead people and makes them alive. That's the gospel. When we're talking about the doctrine of salvation specifically here, this is where the church gets in trouble. And this is where the first church is going to have to deal with some things. Because you and I are people. We have our own bents. We have our own ideals sometimes. And sometimes we mess things up that God already perfected. Sometimes we have this idea that we throw forward and make everyone want to, like everybody has to do this in order for this to happen. And that's just not truth. We always have to go back to what's in Scripture. We always have to go back to making sure that what's in Scripture is how our lives are being played out. Amen? So, let's get into it. Um, one of the things that happened for me last week was I had a vision. Um, Pastor Kerry described uh, the Apostle Paul as a short, stubby, uh, bug-eyed person. And this was the face that came to my mind. <laughs> so thank you, Pastor Kerry, for that picture. Right? So then, then uh, to take that to the next level, you know, this must be Barnabas, right? <laughs> so we have Paul and Barnabas, right? On their, on, you know, back in this church, like encouraging what had happened with the Gentiles. I know, sorry, I just ruined it for all of you, didn't I? That's okay, it gives me, it gives you the picture, right? But check out what happens in verse 1. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now let me just tell you, first of all, there will always be opposition. When truth is in the mix, there will always be opposition, it just happens. None of us like it. It's kind of like that, you know, when you go through, if any of you guys have ever been through leadership training or business school, they always tell you conflict is inevitable. It's not when, it's not if conflict will happen, it's when, right? And how to deal with it. Well, it's the same with truth in terms of there will always be opposition because there's a, uh, there's a enemy, the world, the flesh, the devil, right? In our, in our, in our existence. And we have to combat that. And so these men, came in and they were teaching, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, when I say that, does that make you feel like, oh yeah, they're right? How many of you guys would agree with that? Right, because you've been in church most of your lives, right? And you're like, why would they do that? How come? Well, you know, it happens twice later on when they actually get to the, the apostles and stuff, it says, you know, they do the same thing. It's necessary to circumcise them to direct them to Moses. You know, it, it's interesting because uh, these guys were actually from the mother church, if you will. They were from Judea. It, in, the, in verse 5, it says, those who had believed stood up saying, right? So they were believers in Christ, but they had to add works and the law of Moses. Circumcision and the law of Moses. Circumcision was the, the, one of the first like covenants, right, in the Old Testament we see, right? So they had to add that. So basically what they were trying to do was take the Gentile believers and make them what? Jews, right? 
So what they took is their tradition, if you will, that was a covenant. I'm not, not trying to knock it like it wasn't anything. Okay, it was a very important covenant that they had between God and, you know, God and man that God instituted, right? And they were trying to force that onto the Gentiles because they completely missed the point. See, this is what tradition has a tendency to do sometimes. It has a, a tendency to become more important than salvation. Have you ever noticed that? Tradition. I've seen it happen my whole life. I've been in churches since I was yay young. I grew up in Southern Baptist Church, and I love the Southern Baptist Church. Some good doctrine in that church, in my opinion. Um, I've been in Pentecostal churches. I was trained in ministry through Calvary Chapel, which is like a charismatic church, right? I learned a real love for God's Word, like in that church. And one of the things that I've definitely seen is I don't care what church you come from, whether you claim non-denominational, denominational, you have all these sets of beliefs and values or whatever, is that I've seen tradition ruin things for people. I just have. Because once man starts instituting a set of rules and stuff that God never did, especially with relationship to salvation, guess what happens? You put a yoke of burden, a slavery like is talked about in the passage, on people. Is salvation free? Amen. Then why do they need to work for it? Why do these guys think they need to work for it? Because again, we're talking about the tradition of man. Salvation is not Jesus plus all these things that we do. We do things for Jesus, don't get me wrong, but don't ever conflate the two. You're not working for your salvation. If you're working for your salvation this morning, then you're in a yoke of bondage. And let me be the first to encourage you to be set free by the true gospel of Jesus Christ, which is his completed work on the cross for your sins, paying the penalty for your sins, so that you can be free and be saved by faith alone, by, or by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen? Amen? That's what we're talking about this morning. Now notice, verse 2, Truth is worth defending when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them. I love this. Paul and Barnabas, you know, uh, Paul and Barnabas debated them. How many of you guys have ever been in that place where you hear something just completely wrong and you're like, eh, that's not right. And you feel like you need to defend it or you feel like you need to step up and say something. Truth is worth defending, trust me. Now, you've got to do that the right way, right? God doesn't want us to be arguing and yelling at each other. But at the same time, there are times when it's worth defending. There are times when things are, things are happening and people are saying things about the truth that's in God's word that are, that are wrong. Especially, this is the most, one of the most important subjects. If not the most important subject is our salvation, correct? How we are saved is, is, is primo in the church. And so this is something that's super important and worth defending. And that's what they did here. You know, you've got, you know, these two guys defending, defending and arguing, you know. I can just see them. I can just see it now, you know. Never mess with a Sicilian when salvation is on the line. Sorry. I just had to do it. Sorry. All right. First Peter, in First Peter it says this. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you with gentleness and reverence. Be ready to make a defense. Are you ready to make a defense as to why and how God saved you? That's the encouragement here, and Paul does that. He makes a defense. He calls it out. 
You know, it's interesting. I, I'm just going to put this out there and see how the Holy Spirit lands. There have been times in my life where I've been preached to by people who want to save the saved. Does that make sense? I don't know if you've had that experience, but I've had that experience. And I love them dearly. I even call them brothers in, in the Lord. Uh, but my problem is, is like I don't need saving. God already did that work, thankfully. And I trust Him wholly for my salvation. I don't trust somebody's new version of doctrine or new version of what I need to add to the salvation that God already gave me. So those guys, like, I have compassion for them because I've had zeal like that before, especially with relationship to doctrine. But at the same time, it frustrates me because I think to myself, how come you don't have the same passion for people who are literally dead right now and need to be alive? And sometimes the reason for that is because their doctrine gives them an excuse. And I'm just going to let that lay in the room and... Leave it, leave it there, right? Uh, Jude 1, 3, 3 says this, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt it necessary to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once all handed down to the saints. You know how many people in this world are fighting against Christianity? I mean, even in our own community, within the last five years since I've been here, there has been a sense of hostility towards the churches in the area as opposed to when I first got here. There was a lot more cooperation, I guess you could call it. A lot more uh, encouragement, a lot more like things happening where the church was considered a more important part of the community. And now, slowly but surely, we're eroding that fact in our society, which I think is incredibly sad because guess who's going to be here when everything goes crazy? Guess who's still going to be serving Jesus and ministering to people and feeding people and helping people. The church, like it has been at all times, because that's what the heart of God is. But sadly, uh, godless people have a tendency to want to do away with what makes them feel uncomfortable, because again, what happens is the message of the gospel is reaching their soul and convicting them of sin, and then they have to rebel and fight against it. So, but for us, we need to contend for the faith, because people will try to mess with it all the time. In Galatians, in fact, I would encourage you this week, go through the book of Galatians this week. This would be a great devotional uh, uh, addition, if you will. Um, chapter 15 in the book of Acts isn't the reason why Paul wrote the book of Galatians, but it's the start of it. Meaning Paul had to contend with, the Apostle Paul had to contend with people like this over and over. This wasn't the first time that he was going to have to do this. And so in that, um, the book of Galatians kind of sprung forth and this is what uh, he says in the beginning of it. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Because in the Galatian church, the Judaizers were big and they had a huge influence in there too. And so he had to combat that again. And, uh, and there's a lot of beautiful verses in, the, in, the Gala- in Galatians. So I would encourage you to read it this week. So, therefore, verse 3, being sent on their way, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles we're bringing great joy to the brethren. <clears throat> so they decided to go down to Jerusalem, right, to settle this, to the, the, the main church, right? The first Christian church there in Jerusalem. They decided to go down there and let's, let's talk to the elders and the apostles and let's settle this, right? 
So that's where they headed to. And as they were heading to, Paul and Barnabas decided to go kind of this different way, if you will. They didn't have to go this way, but they went this way so they could be encouraged because right now they had people from the mother church, if you will, discouraging them and bringing this yoke of bondage. And so they were like, let's get some encouragement and then let's go down to uh, let's go down to the church at Jerusalem and then let's let's have at it. Right. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and elders. They reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of Pharisees who believed stood up saying, you know, it's necessary to circumcise this. Them, the apostles and elders came together to look into this matter. And after there had been much debate, there we go again. They're fighting again for the doctrine of salvation. Peter stood up and said to them, brethren. You know that in the other days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God who knows the heart testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did us. He made no distinction between them, us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon their neck, the neck of the disciples, a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are. Amen. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The truth of this is, is, uh, is definitely um, here in the text. He made no distinction between us and them. The Gentiles were not distinguished in terms of the faith and how God was working out salvation through them. There wasn't a distinction between them. God was saving people. And then in verse 11 it says, you know, but we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they also are. You know, I was thinking about this the other day, this idea of adding to the the God the doctrine of salvation. You know, certain things just don't go together, right? How many of you guys have ever had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Yeah, how many of you guys like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? I'm just curious. Yeah, see, there's a lot of you. So even if you don't like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, most of you have at least had them, unless you're like allergic to peanut butter, and in which case, I'm sorry. I apologize. You can imagine it some in some other way. Um, but a peanut butter and jelly sandwich is pretty yummy at times, right? Um, and so uh, there was a time in my life where I was a camp director, and I remember uh, you know, being a camp director... There's campers that would come up, and we were we were uh, uh, camp directors for this Christian camp called Camp Allendale. It was a Christian camp for kids in foster care and group homes, and we would come up and do basically do a free Christian camp for kids in foster care system and all that stuff. It was an amazing experience, loved it. But I remember this one week <clears throat> where we were. That's one of the first meals we had was peanut butter and jelly, and we would always there was a specialty we would call them gourmet, and the gourmet part was because we put butter on them too. kind of help the peanut butter like slide down easier just so you know it's actually really good but i remember sitting at this table and they had a salad out every now and then because some people just didn't like peanut butter or were allergic right and so they had salad out and i remember this kid grabbed the blue cheese dressing and he grabbed a bag of doritos and i was like that's interesting and he goes i dare you mike to eat on your peanut butter and jelly sandwich doritos and blue cheese now, I don't know about you, but at that time in my life, if a student dared me, it was like, bring it on, all right? I can do this. 
I can totally do this. So I like loaded that sucker with, you know, Doritos and I poured that blue cheese over the top of it. And I'm like, whatever, dude, whatever. And I took one bite and I got to tell you, it wasn't bad. <laughs> it really wasn't bad. I was like, huh, this is a new thing. Maybe this is a good thing, right? And so I, I chowed down that sandwich right in front of him, right? And I was sitting there and he was looking at me like, I can't believe you just did that. And then I looked at him and I said, excuse me. And I left. And I bolted to the bathroom because literally for the next 15 minutes, all of the, that peanut butter and jelly decided to come back. It didn't like to live in my stomach, all right? <laughs> the taste wasn't that bad, but trust me, those three, four ingredients don't go well together in your stomach. Please don't try it if you, you know, unless I dare you. No, I'm just kidding. I don't dare you. Some things you just can't add to. It doesn't work, right? Many of you guys that are chefs, you know this too. There's certain like flavors and stuff. Like people try to put things together sometimes and it's just like, no, I'm sorry. It just doesn't work, right? So this is the same thing. God instituted salvation, the doctrine of salvation, one way. There is only one doctrine of salvation by faith alone. Through Christ alone, right? It's only through Christ, on the basis of faith, that we're allowed to be saved by the gospel. And, the, and Ephesians tells us that that work isn't even of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Which, by the way, is an interesting theological note for those of you big brain people. My personal belief is faith is not a work. I'll just leave, let that lay. Therefore, Acts fifteen nineteen, he says, It's my judgment that we do, we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles. He was basically telling them, please don't put Doritos and blue cheese on your beautiful peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Salvation is taken care of. It doesn't need circumcision for, for a fact. And it doesn't need the law of Moses. Which, again, like he said, the Jews couldn't even keep the law of Moses. Why would they want to give that to anybody else? And worse yet, why did they want to inflict that much pain on people to make like grown men go get circumcised? That's just a sick and twisted thing, in my opinion, for them to want them to do. You know, Acts 4.12 says there's salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven that is given among men by which we must be saved. Amen to that. Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you would think that if circumcision and the law was necessary, that Paul wouldn't have wrote the book of Romans the way that he did. Or the letter to the Galatian church. In fact, most of Paul's writings, especially when he wrote letters to the churches that he helped plant, um, that had Jew, Judaizers trying to influence the church, they all have this element of, be careful, there's these guys that are trying to add circumcision, they're trying to add the law. But I'm telling you, you're justified by faith in peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't mess with salvation, please. Especially because when you start messing with things that God instituted, guess who you're really messing with? I'm just going to let that lie. I know a lot of us like to fight God, but I've never won. I don't know about you, but I've never won. Ever. And I don't plan to. Then what happens in this passage is... Um, 
they basically come down and, and you know, say what salvation is. The, this is the first council of, of the Jerusalem church. They establish what the doctrine of salvation is. And then they're like, okay, let's write a letter and take it to all the churches and let them know. Let them know that, the, the, that salvation is what we've been preaching all along. And to not listen to these guys, we're not adding this extra burden. We apologize for the fact that these guys have, have kind of disturbed you. And we want you to know there are some encouragements we have, but, but the doctrine of salvation is secure by faith in Christ. So this is what they, you know, they do. It seemed good for the apostles and the elders and the whole church in verse 22. And the elders to choose men from among them sent to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Judas called Barsabas and Silas, leading men among the brethren. These two guys were interesting. Silas is the guy that will eventually here not too long from now, uh, go with Paul, right, on uh, his next few missionary journeys. <coughs> and Barsabas, or Judas, wasn't the Judas that betrayed uh, Jesus, obviously. He was dead. But this was another Judas, which I always have this, I, I used to say that the reason why they called him Barsabas was because no one wanted to be called Judas after Judas, you know. Anyways. So, so this Judas and Silas, Judas was a Jew, so these are two guys from the mother church, a Jew and a Gentile, that they sent with Paul and Barnabas to deliver this letter, kind of as a unified front. That look, we've decided this is how this is how this is this is how this works. This is how God did this. See, this is the beautiful thing when you when you start proclaiming things that God already instituted. Now you're in the right place, right? You don't need to mess with something that God already did. Okay, this, technically speaking, this council didn't really need to happen because God's big enough that he doesn't need us to like, do anything about salvation. It's his work, right? But the beautiful thing is that the church wanted to basically build this and do this for the purpose of what? Being able to carry it on generation after generation. That's what doctrine does. These councils are a good thing in that regard because they're looking at like why or what, what is God doing and then getting in line with that. Anytime the church decides to have a council and then decides to go differently than what God's already doing, it never goes well for the church. Just church, if you study church history, you'll see that. Um, I was thinking about this the other day, too. Every time where God is doing a work and proclaims it through people and through his means, it brings joy. Obviously, when Jesus came, the angels proclaimed, Do not be afraid. I bring good news of great joy, which will be for all people. Notice that, for all people. He didn't say which would be for the, only the chosen Jews, and specifically the really chosen Jews. Right? He didn't say that. He said, For all people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Salvation comes through Christ, our Lord. And I love this, because as they're going... As they deliver this message, what it says um, in, uh, where to go? Verse 30, or excuse me, 31. When they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And this is one of the beautiful things. When, again, when, when, when the truth is preached, it brings joy. And when error is, is preached or even like tried to be forced on people, it usually brings bondage and pain. Think about what the Judaizers are trying to do. They basically came into the church and said, no, nah, you're not really saved. You've got to do this, this, and this to be saved. 
Whereas the church, when it, once it finally had codified the, the doctrine of salvation, came back and said, nah, you don't have to do that. That's not part of it. But let us give you some encouragement. <clears throat> so salvation is settled, but the way this thing ends is, is the encouragement is to live in the law of love. This is what this passage is, and this is the part of the passage where everybody kind of goes, what? For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and for us to lay, hand, or to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. That you abstain from things sacrificed to idols, from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Now, there is a reason behind this. This wasn't them saying, you're saved if you do these things, right? Nowhere in this does it say this. It says, these are the essentials of the way you live your life. There's a law of love that Paul, that Paul really talks about in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, really chapters 8 all the way through like 11 in, in a sense. And this law of love is this idea that, that we shouldn't stumble our brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? Remember, you had the church that came through uh, basically the Jewish faith, right? And, and primarily a lot of our traditions and a lot of our, our doctrine, a lot of our ideas and knowledge about God comes through the Old Testament and the New Testament, but the Old Testament, especially at this time, right, which was primarily from the Jews. The Jews already had their customs. They were already used to what they were doing with the law and stuff like that. And now you had all these Gentile believers that were coming up. But these Gentile believers and their traditions, they were, they had the Temple of Diana where people would literally go and have sex and, and as a, a form of worship to the goddess Diana. You had, uh, you know, uh, sacrifices that were happening where they would sacrifice animals and then they would basically have a big feast with that with that meat you would have them literally strangle strangle like animals and stuff and then eat them raw like sushi no i'm just kidding sorry don't eat sushi no i'm just kidding that's not see there i go again The point of this was for the, the, the Gentile believers, because that's who they were delivering this to, for the Gentile believers to say, you know what, there's some things in here that you can do to not stumble your Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the law of love, right? That you abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood and <clears throat> from things strangled and from fornication. These are all things that were a part of their culture, their society. And they were saying these are things that now that you're new in Christ, now that you're saved by salvation and faith alone you don't need to do these things anymore these are things that will will help you help your health there's the things that will help you to live out your christian faith in a way that doesn't stumble even your jewish brothers and sisters in christ does that make sense that's why this is there i know for a while i was like that's just the weirdest like list of things you know what i mean but when you understand the culture of what's going on there it makes a lot of sense and then when they read that it brought it brought joy right First uh, Corinthians eight thirteen, Paul wrote this. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. That's quite a statement, isn't it? How many of you guys like meat? Yeah, man, I love meat, huh. especially barbecued meat, right? And I'm like an Old Testament barbecue meat, like, give me it well done, you know, get some char on there, right? I know some of you guys are like the raw meat, man, you got to, this is a passage for you, right? Be careful with that raw meat, right? 
just kidding. But like, what about the thought that, again, if something stumbles your brother, that you decide not to do it because it will stumble your brother? Man, that's so foreign to us. That's so foreign to us. See, this is where the gospel meets the road. You know why? Because we're uncomfortable with the idea of having to sacrifice or lay down our lives for somebody else. Although Jesus did. In fact, he said this, greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. Did you know that also has to do with things that you could do that might stumble somebody else? In the church, just for example, and I'm giving this as an example, I'm not trying to put a yoke of bondage on anyone in this room. Trust me when I tell you, when I first walked in this morning, I saw apple juice being served and I thought beer. Like put a good head on it and that sucker could look like beer, right? Right? And so like I kept thinking that, okay, why are we serving beer in this church? You know, kind of thing. That's where my brain went. And I was like, oh yeah, apple juice. You know, duh. Right? Alcohol itself is not a sin to consume alcohol. Amen? But is it a sin if it would stumble an alcoholic? If you're knocking a bunch back right in front of somebody who just got out of AA, AAA, I don't even know. Yeah, AA. Is that a bad thing? But come on, man. He should just be a more mature brother. He should just understand it's not about alcohol. Alcohol is not a sin. You see what I mean? What about the love of God? What about thinking about the other person first? Because that's where the gospel meets the road, right? Again, I'm not saying alcohol is bad. I'm not saying that if you drink alcohol, you're sinning, because you're not. I mean, if you get drunk and do sin, then yeah, you're sinning. But what I'm saying is, the point is, don't stumble your brother or sister in Christ. That's just an easy example because it's one of the hot, most hottest like contested things in certain parts of Christendom, right? Because when you walk into a, a, somebody's house and then you see certain things, depending on the tradition you come from, we all judge each other, right? Why do you have video games in your house? Because I like them, right? But if you have a problem with video games, you know, then I should put them away or at least not play them when you're there, Right? That's just rude. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. Let's keep it that way. And let's live the law of love that that, that the church has, has given us, that Christ gave us, so that we can bless each other and focus on the main thing, which is telling people that there's a Savior, that He loves them, and that all they have to do is turn in faith to receive the grace of God for their salvation, for their sins, that they can, their sins can be paid for, that they are paid for, that all they have to do is receive the grace of God and believe in faith. Uh, what is it? In Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. We're going to actually head into a time of communion here. I think this is a great way to finish uh, this message, which is basically... Um, Thanking God for the salvation. Thanking Him for the sacrifice that created and caused our salvation. So I want to encourage you guys um, right now just to spend, spend a few moments. I'm going to have the worship team come on up. <clears throat> I want to 
encourage you guys to spend a few moments doing some business with God. And what that means is, I want to encourage you, the Bible talks about uh, communion as being something that it, we receive and we should receive in a worthy manner. And that means like, if, if there's sin in your life right now, if there's sin and something that you have, haven't confessed to God, then I would encourage you, spend, some, spend this moment spend while, we're, while we're worshiping God with, these, uh, with this song. Like, spend that time basically asking God for forgiveness, letting God set your heart right, and then, and then let's, let's do this. Communion is a beautiful picture, again, of the body and the blood of Christ that he sacrificed for us to give us salvation. So I would encourage you that the church like, did this work, the early church did this work to, to develop the doctrine of salvation and, and hand it down to us. Now let's celebrate the reality of salvation through Christ alone. Okay, let's pray. God, we just thank you so much for this morning. God, I pray for this time right now that, again, if there's anybody here who needs to do some business with you that needs to receive you as Lord and Savior, or God needs to confess sin, Lord, I pray that you would just do that work right now and that we would just uh, be blessed with this time of communion. So we just thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23, it says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took also the cup. After supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant of blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Again, this right here is a, it's an important part of our worship. But taking and eating communion doesn't give you salvation. We just went over that, right? But I would encourage you to make this, every time you have an opportunity to take communion, to make it something special. This is, this is the meal, if you will, or the, the remembrance that we have of what our Savior did for us to give us salvation freely. He paid the price so that our salvation would be secure, so that the gift of God would be complete. He paid that price. Let's honor Him for that. Um, if you guys could, just hold up the bread. I'll pray, and then we'll partake. Lord, we just thank you so much for your body, this cracker representing your body. We pray, God, that you would, Lord, just remind us of the sacrifice that you made daily. God, that your body endured so much to, uh, to pay for the penalty of our sins. Jesus, you, you loved us enough to die a gruesome, horrible death for us. And we just pray that this uh, cracker, as it represents your body, God, that we would honor you and th be thankful, Lord, today for your sacrifice. So we just praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you partake? Again, it says, this is the cup of, my, of, this is the cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You know, it's interesting because we just studied about how some people were trying to force people into basically taking the new covenant that Jesus had instituted and forcing people into the old covenant of circumcision, right? You and I have the benefit of taking communion and, and honoring God and, and being blessed with, with drinking this juice as a representation of Christ's blood that sealed the deal for us when it comes to our sins being covered by the blood of Jesus. Amen? You and I will, will always basically be in a place to where we uh, are, are viewed in the eyes of God as pure, as sinless, because of the blood of Jesus covering our sins. Amen? And so, again, when you take communion, when you are allowed to, and, and, and as often as you do it, like the Bible says, do it in remembrance of that that we have so great a Savior who shed His blood on the cross for us, covering our sins past, present, and future. Man, what a, what a blessing, man. What a salvation that we are, have received. So let's honor God. If you could, just raise, raise your glass. Let's, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we just thank You. Thank You so much, Jesus, for what You were willing to do for us. Lord, we remember the blood that you spilt on the cross to cover our sins. And God, we pray that we would uh, continue to remember it by the way that we live our lives, by the way that we love, 
other people like you loved us, willing to lay down our lives. You were willing to lay down your life for us, Lord God. Help us to have that same attitude. Thank you so much for the blood that covers our sins. Thank you for the salvation that that offers is to anybody, Lord. And I pray that you would help us to remember that. So we honor you and praise you so much for the blood that you shed. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible also says, For as often as you come and eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I would encourage you to do that this week. Proclaim the Lord's death. Proclaim it until he comes. The salvation that was offered to us. We're going to sing a song, and then uh, and then you guys are free to go. But I want to encourage you again this week to think about that. Read the book of Galatians. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 8 through 10. Those are some good additions to this um, to this passage. But be encouraged that you don't have to add anything to your salvation. God already took care of it. Be encouraged that that when people try to distort, when people try to do things and add things, that we can not only defend our salvation, but we can be secure in what God has already done. So let that be what, you know, you go out with. As we sing this last song, we'll receive our benevolence offering, which we do each time we serve communion as a response. God's been good to us. Encourage you to give so that we can bless others that are in need. In the darkness we were waking with our hope, with our light. Till from heaven you came running, there was mercy in your eyes. To fulfill the law and prophets, to a virgin gave the word. From the throne of endless glory.
Amen. Praise Jesus. Have a blessed week. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 630 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.